Amen. So if you go to the end of chapter 13, that's where we're going to be. And just to kind of catch you up and put you in some context, we flew through about 12 chapters last week and we got to where these people, about 1 million of them, Okay? Now, when you think about the Israelites moving out of Egypt and moving around the wilderness, and as we walk through this next couple weeks on this, I want you to get this in your mind. This isn't a group of 100 people. This isn't refuge. This isn't even Bell Shoals Baptist, 3,000 people. This is a million people who are moving through the wilderness, through these cities that we're going to be talking about. So that doesn't happen quickly. And can you just imagine the stress that Moses has? I mean, I, as a pastor, I'm stressed out trying to take care and oversee 150 200 people. I can't imagine what Moses was going through, having to care for all the little minute details and the big things that were happening for a million people who, by every stretch of the imagination, were freaking out. Everything they know is being uprooted, and they're in the middle of this kind of epic battle, and they're moving. And so what happens at the end of chapter 12 is the institution of Passover and the and the basically that God says, you're going to kill a lamb, and you're going to paint this blood over your doorpost, and that will pass over and kill the firstborn. And so the institution of that happens and what God says, beginning in chapter 13, is he says, you're going to do this every year. You're going to do this um, every time you have Passover. You're going to remember what God has done for you. And so they institute Passover, which becomes a celebration for the Jewish people every year. And so when Jesus comes and he he's there with his disciples, and we know the story well, many of us, he's in the upper room and he takes the cup and he said, this is my blood. And this is my body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. They were having Passover that night. They were having this festival, this feast that was celebrated for years and years and years and years. And it meant one thing. It meant the exodus from Egypt for these people. But here's what Jesus does. And if you were at Bible Fellowship this week, we did this together in our Bible Fellowship groups is he broke the bread and he took the cup of redemption that was the cup in the midst of many cups in that meal, the, the Passover Seder meal. He took it and he said, I want to redefine this for you. This is me. It's about me. It's about my blood that is spilled for you. It's about my body that's broken for you. I am that lamb. And when God told the Israelites, he said, this will be a sign for you. There's going to be a day that Jesus is going to come on the scene. And this is going to be a sign for you. All of this, all of this is a shadow to come to point to a greater reality of Christ. The greater reality that Christ is the Lamb of God whose blood takes away the sin of the world. And so the institution of Passover comes, and in verse 17 is where we're going to kind of catch up. And this, this little section of scripture here, verse 17 through verse 22, is an interesting section of scripture. We could really quickly kind of cruise by it to get to the good stuff, which is the crossing of the Red Sea. But I think if we miss this, if we just, we don't stop here and consider what's happening, then we miss something big that, big that God may be saying to us tonight. So I just want to read it in its entirety, and then we'll go back through and break it down tonight. Verse 17 says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying that God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. 
and by night and a pillar of fire to lead them by light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So they're leaving Egypt. And, and um, my, my uh, little thing went away. Go to the next slide. I'm going to show you a map here. I had a, I had a laser pointer and now it's disappeared. So uh, I'll post this on Facebook so you guys can look at it a little bit better. It's very, very small. But basically this part right here, you'll see the Red Sea. And you'll see them as they're coming out of Egypt. And this thing right here, it says the wilderness of Etham or Shur. Oh, thank you, Drew. Okay, here we go. I'm going to go, I'm going to go professorial for a minute. There you go. Can you guys see that? So there's the wilderness of Etham or Shur. I can't hold a straight line. I've had too much coffee. Um, so there's the wilderness of Etham or Shur. So here's what God does. Here's Egypt. He brings them all the way over here to the edge of this part right here. Here's Etham. So this is the whole wilderness of Etham or Shur. And the Bible says he brings them all the way to the edge of Etham. So I want you to understand something. This is where they're going. And God brings them here. So at, for a moment, it would have made some sense to them. Okay, this makes sense. We're going this way. But I, I want you to look at what the text says. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. So kind of going back to here, what would have been the easy route would be to come out of Egypt and to just track along right here all the way to where they were wanting to go up into Canaan. But that was what was called the land of the Philistines. It was the way of the Philistines. And so the Bible says this, it says in verse 17, when they come out of Egypt, they are probably expecting to go one way. But here's what we're going to see. God takes him an inconvenient way. So what happens here is Pharaoh lets his people go. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, it says, although it was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So here's what God does. He brings them all the way out of Egypt, and then they stop in the wilderness of Etham, or sure, they could, have, they could have basically gone up and right under the Great Sea and trekked over, and it would have taken them about two to three weeks, depending on how fast they could move. Two to three weeks, 40 years, big difference. God takes them out, and he camps them, the Bible says, at the wilderness of Etham or of Shur. And so they're on the edge of the wilderness, and the Red Sea would have been right below them at this point. So God has taken them the way that they did not really expect to go. He's taking them what would be an inconvenient way. He's taken them to Etham. He's taken them to the wilderness, but he's not taken them the way they thought they would go. And God has a tendency to take people into the wilderness, doesn't he? Maybe tonight you've, you've come here and God has taken you an inconvenient way. He's taking you a way that you don't really understand. It doesn't make sense to you. It feels like some wilderness to you. And God will do that to us because he wants to do some refining in us. And so maybe you're even sitting here tonight and you don't really know why you are where you are because the Israelites, although many of them wouldn't have been classically trained in geography and known a whole lot about the area, they would have known this. This isn't the fastest way for us. He took them an inconvenient way. And a lot of times God will take us an inconvenient way because he wants to do something. If you have your Bible, you can hang out there and go to Luke chapter four for a second. And we're going to see this reflective in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter four. Jesus is starting his earthly ministry in the gospels. He starts his earthly ministry with this 
this time of wilderness temptation. The Bible says in Luke chapter four, verse one, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus is led out into the wilderness. But here's the thing about Jesus is Jesus is led into the wilderness. And in the same way that Adam was tempted, in the same way that we're going to see over the next course of the weeks, that the Israelites are continually led into the wilderness and they fail and they worship idols. Here's what we see about Jesus. He no different is taken into the wilderness but he succeeds. He defeats the devil, not just because he has a knowledge of scripture, because he's proving that he is the son of God. And so God has this tendency, even for the son of God to take him into the wilderness, to take him into this place. The wilderness is not, is not the bad place. We kind of talk about the wilderness is a bad place. The wilderness is a place where God works on us. And some of you are maybe sitting in this place tonight and you have gone an inconvenient way. And it's not because you've made a wrong turn. It's because God has led you there. So you ask these kind of questions like, why am I here? Why am I, why am I at this place in my life, this school, this, this relationship? Why, why, this is not where I expected to be at this point in my life. And I know I've been there before. And you kind of ask all these questions like, God, you brought me here. What are you doing? And I remember um, when I was fresh out of seminary, I went to Houston, Texas, and I was there for almost two years. And it was a promising opportunity. I went there to be a youth pastor and went there to serve at this church. I'd spoken for the youth camp six years in a row and, and they loved me and I loved them. And, and it was like, yes, I'm going to go actually be their pastor. And so, man, we packed our stuff up. We moved out to Houston and it was like, this is the greatest opportunity in the world. And we got there and it was nothing like what we thought it would be. There were seasons of just hardship. My wife's mom had cancer. And so for one whole year while we were out there, the majority of our time out there, she was coming back and forth. And so I added it up one time when we were four months apart, when I added it all up. When I look at that time, I realized that it wasn't what I thought it would be. It wasn't what I thought it would be. And maybe you're in that spot like the Israelites, they were moved out of Egypt and they thought their redemption would happen in a certain way, but God begins to take them in an inconvenient way. He begins to take them a way that doesn't make sense to them. And some of you are probably sitting here going, God, I don't really get why you're taking me this way. And God sees the big picture. Because look back at the text. Here's what it says. It says, he did not lead them by the land of the Philistines. That was near. It was quicker. But God said this in the text, verse 17, the end of it. He says, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. There was not internet then, obviously. There was not news. There were Philistines. They were giants. They were warriors. 
And God's bringing them up out of the land. And these people, a million of them strong, are not ready for battle. Now, the text will say that they came out equipped for battle, but that simply means they came out in a fashion that was like an army. But they weren't ready to fight the Philistines. And God knew that. God knew everything about them. And so he knew that if he took them north, that though that would be quicker, and though possibly they could defeat the Philistines. And though as the God of the universe, yes, he could have defeated the Philistines for them, but he knew something about their character. He knew that at any instant, they would go back to Egypt. That they would turn around. They would go back to captivity, which they for 430 years had cried out to be released from. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. And so though it doesn't make sense, what God will do at times is he will take us the inconvenient way because he knows that the inconvenient way is the best way for us and it will be for our good and it will be for his glory. So he takes them away that's inconvenient. He camps them, if you go back to the map, he camps them right around the Red Sea. Now look back at the text. Verse 18 says this, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. And then it says in verse 19, something kind of weird. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. We'll start in verse 22. You get there, I'll read it. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Okay, this is Genesis. This is what's happening now. He's gone, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna get, you're going to get brought up out of this land. But then watch this. Look at verse 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So fast forward to this moment for this people. This is, this is them leaving this place. And here's what they've got. They've got these bones of Joseph. This, this isn't some like weird kind of superstitious religion where they've got the bones of Joseph. Here's what the bones of Joseph are for these people. It is a promise from Genesis 50 that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is gonna deliver them. And this is happening right now. It's really happening. And we've got these bones and this is representative of this promise and we're carrying them and we're just kind of holding this promise of God. And sometimes when you find yourself in an inconvenient place, all you have is the promise of God. The promises that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. The promise of the gospel to bring you hope and peace in whatever moment. So they're holding on to these bones of Joseph and that's more than just bones. It's promise. It's a promise of a God who's faithful. And so it says that they're holding on to these bones. Now I want you to skip. We're going to come back to the last part of 13, but I want you to skip down to chapter 14. We're going to dig into this a whole lot next week, but they, God took them an inconvenient way. It would have seemed very inconvenient, but then God starts to do something really just kind of weird to them. They didn't have any GPS, obviously. They didn't really know where they were going. They were just following this pillar of fire and smoke, which we're going to talk about this cloud of fire, this cloud by day, the pillar by night of fire. They were just following that. And as he would move, as God's presence, manifest presence would move, they would move. So they're following him. Now, here's what's going to happen. I want to show you on the map. 
He brings them out of Egypt and he brings them down to the wilderness. They're right here. They're thinking, oh, we're just gonna shoot up here. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a quick way to get over there. But here's what happens. Now, in the first part of 14, he brings them back all the way around here and he camps them right there and they're looking at the Red Sea. They start to backtrack where they came from. So let's look at the text. Look at verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Paharath between Magdal and the sea in front of Balaam Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and they did so. So I want you to catch this. This is so beautiful. God takes them an inconvenient way to begin with. They're thinking this isn't the fastest way, but okay, maybe we're just going to shoot up north. But then it turns from being inconvenient to impossible. So he brings them back. They're backtracking at this point. Does anybody have a GPS on their phone? Does anybody have a GPS on their phone that works? My GPS on my phone works about 50% of the time. And the other 50% of the time, I'll end up in a parking lot. That is not what I'm looking for. I remember when I first got this phone. No, it was the other phone before this phone. Um, but it had, a, it had a nav system on it. And it was like a flip phone. It was like the... Um, the Envy, the first Envy flip phone. And I just thought I was all bad to the bone because I had an app system on it. This was like four or five years ago. And I was at Frontliners in Colorado and Victor Flores and Scott Odom were there and it was after everything. And, and so they came to me and said, hey, let's go hang out somewhere. I was like, yeah, let's go hang out. And I was like, let's go to Starbucks, of course. And so they said, well, where's the Starbucks at? We're in the middle of Colorado Springs. We don't know where anything is. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I know where something is. I have an app system. And at that point, they're like, oh, you have a nav system on your phone. Wow. Their phones are much cooler than my phones now. Um, so I flipped it up, type in Starbucks, hit go. It's given me a map. It's given me everything. I was like, I was so proud of myself. I was just like, I never know where I'm going, by the way, um, unless it's to my office or my house. That's about it. And so I was like, guys, follow me. I know exactly where I'm going. Scott was a little leery, but he got in the car and followed me. So they're following me and I'm following whatever this thing says. And so it's tracking along. Turn left, turn right. It's got a nice lady with a British voice on it. And then we end up looking at a Target. Not a Starbucks, a Target. The Starbucks was in the Target, but it's midnight at this point, and he ain't getting in the Target. So it wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be, and it wasn't what it seemed to be. And for the Israelites, this is what's happening. They're kind of asking this question, God, why are we... We're backtracking here. Here's what it looks like to them. It's gone from inconvenient to impossible because now not only are they backtracking, but the, the scripture tells us that Pharaoh is going to come after them and they're not running away from him at this point. In the first part of 14, they're running towards him. So you can imagine what's in their minds as Moses said, hey guys, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna turn around and you remember we passed that city with a funny name down by the Red Sea? Yeah, we're going to go back there. And they're all going, no, 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 wait a minute. Are, Moses, we are, we are backtracking. We are running headlong into the armies of Pharaoh. And he's going, I, I know, I, it doesn't make any sense to me, but that's just what God told me to do. So what happens when God asks you to do the stupid? Like it doesn't make sense to anybody else. So he brings them around, the Bible says, Look back at what it says in verse three. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. 
I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And then all the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So watch what God's doing. He's moving them back and forth across this part top of the Red Sea, not for, not for any other reason, but for his glory. So they're instruments in the hands of God. And he's wanting to show these Egyptians that he is God over everything. He's already blasted them with 10 plagues, but he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So the same Pharaoh that let them go out of the land, I'm going to harden his heart. And then he's going to pursue them. He's going to think they're trapped in the wilderness. They're entangled in the wilderness, as some translations say. So he's going to go after them. And when they get there, I'm just going to show myself to be God. Now we're going to get into the Red Sea next week. Literally, not not literally. We're going to get into the Red Sea, but, but they go back and it's impossible. So here's, here's what's happening here. If you skip down a little bit, look at verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done? that we've let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen, his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Piharoth in front of Belsiphon. The Bible says that there's this moment where they're, they're, if you go back to the map, they are stuck. They're stuck between the armies of Pharaoh and the Red Sea. And what was inconvenient just became impossible. It became absolutely impossible. And here's a question I want to ask you tonight. Are you standing in front of something that looks absolutely impossible to you? Because as we're going to see next week, the children of Israel, they just... They start grumbling. Moses, have you brought us out here to bury us because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Is that the deal? You just brought us out here to die? Is that the deal? Because this doesn't make any sense right now. And maybe you're in a situation right now where you're going, God, is this the deal? You've just kind of brought me out here to leave me hanging. I thought you were a faithful God. And now we're here and I'm looking at the impossible. They've got the Egyptian on Egyptians on one side of them, the Red Sea on the other side, and they were just there. They could taste that northern route, and God brought them back down to the Red Sea. So what was inconvenient just became impossible, apart from God. And here's the real question. As they hold the bones, as they hold those bones that are really a promise, will we trust the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob to do what he said he would do? So skip back up to the end of chapter 13. They went from this inconvenient route to this impossible route. But here's the point of all of this is that it went from inconvenient to impossible because God was the one leading them. Look at verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So here's the big point. <laughs> they were led an inconvenient way. Then they were led an impossible way. But here's the real big kicker. They were led by the manifest presence of God. Like, this is kind of hard for me to get, but a pillar of fire by night that reached to the heavens, that 
throughout the course of this wandering series is going to serve it many times as a barrier between them and their enemies. A cloud by day. And it just moves at will and they follow it. And it was to be the presence, the manifest presence of God, the glory of God. Many times it's called the Shekinah. When they would set up the temple, it was this thing that rested in the Holy of Holies. And it was this thing that when they idol worshiped in the Old Testament, it got up and left the Holy of Holies, went to the holy place, to the inner court, to the outer court and left. And for 400 years, they did nothing but just ritual and religion that was empty. But it was this presence of God. So here's the real question for them and really the real question for us as they look at the Red Sea and they've gone from inconvenient to absolutely impossible. They're there holding these bones of this promise and they've got this pillar of fire and this cloud that is God himself. His manifest presence is will we trust God and go where it's impossible or will we walk away and go where it's easy? But we do it on our own. It's a great question. Am I going to trust God? And God's usually going to lead me somewhere very inconvenient and somewhere almost impossible. Or am I going to do it on my own? And maybe doing it on my own means I get to choose the easy route. I get to go north and I get to do it my way, but I don't have a pillar of fire and a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. I don't have the manifest presence of God. And so to follow the manifest presence of God in my life means I'm probably going to go somewhere that's very difficult and it's inconvenient and it's near impossible. And you know what I see all throughout the scripture? Not just here. I see that God leads his people to inconvenient and impossible situations. Why? You go back to the text. What does it say in the first part of 14? I will get glory. Who gets the glory in the middle of the impossible? Let me just kind of, I'm just, just my life, kind of where I'm living. Who gets the glory when we go, we're going we're gonna to sell everything and go to this other place, this other country, and, and we've got to raise a lot of money, and we don't really know I'm just going to be honest with you. We don't totally know what we're doing. We're just kind of in this moment and going, okay, God, here we go. Who's going to get the glory for that? Man, I pray that it's not me. That is my worst nightmare. That, that we would get there and God would do something and everyone would go, oh, that's, look at the, look at the Bell Shoals team. That's not the desire. Because that is impossible. Like, to be really honest with you, I'm standing looking at the impossible going, God, it's, it's you or it's not going to happen. Knowing that God has led us there, knowing that for me to turn around and go someplace else or even stay here with you as much as I'd love to would be comfortable for me and I wouldn't be following where God is taking me. And for the Israelites, it was the same thing. It was this moment where they're looking at the Red Sea going, we can turn around and go back to Egypt and we can be slaves there and it will be comfortable to us because we know that lifestyle. Some of them, that's all they knew. But they would go it without God and they would do it without his presence. And so that's our question tonight. For some of you, God's taking you an inconvenient way that's going to ultimately lead to an impossible way. And it's because he wants glory. So what are you doing right now? that is absolutely impossible apart from God, apart from Christ. See, here's the great thing about this. As we look to the wilderness of Jesus, 
and his wilderness. We see him overcoming Satan. We see him living this perfect life. We see him going to the cross. And you see Jesus in the garden. Our pastor just did a devotional for our staff just yesterday on this. You see Jesus in the garden and he prays. And you know what he prays. Many of you know what he prays. He says, would you take this cup from me? He's on his way to the cross and he's praying for the cup to be taken. What is the cup? The cup of wrath that's about to be poured out on him for you. And he's praying, God, would you take this from me? Because this is really inconvenient. It's hard. And here in his humanity and his divinity, and I don't, man, it's a mystery to me. I'm going to be honest with you. It's a mystery to me what's happening in that moment as he talks to the father, but yet they're one and he's crying out for this cup to be passed. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. And then he follows that to the cross. He dies on the cross. He accomplishes victory in that moment for you and for me. And he is the one that we follow. So to walk behind him may be to walk in an inconvenient place and to walk into an impossible place. But I guarantee you this, it's to walk victoriously into that place because of what he's done. He has blazed the path as Hebrews tells us. And so as the Israelites stand and they look at the Red Sea, they see, they see an option. They see an option to walk through that water and they see an option to turn around and go back. And what we're going to see next week is that God is going, I want you to step forward in faith. What about you? Really simple, but sometimes really, really hard. Some of you tonight, you're looking at something that's seemingly impossible. God has called you to something. You know, it's going to be really difficult it could be something really, really that seems small to you, like maybe turning from some sin and embracing the gospel in your life in that area, but maybe some addiction, maybe to some drugs, to a relationship, to pornography, to something. And, and so that looks impossible to you. It's not apart from the gospel. It's impossible apart from the gospel. You, you may be looking at some financial thing. You may be looking at some future decision and you're just not sure why God has brought you here. But the reality is this, you've got two choices. You can either follow God to where it's inconvenient and impossible, or you can turn around and do it yourself. And that's what he gives us tonight. And just to be honest with you, it is very tempting to want to turn around and walk the other way and live with your heads bowed. Maybe you'd say tonight, you know what? I'm in, a, I'm in an impossible place. I feel stressed. I feel the pressure. And I know that to follow God would be to go to that place, full throttle. But in me, there's this desire to turn around and just walk comfortably apart from him. If you'd say tonight, Matt, I just, I just ask that you'd pray for me as I'm standing there kind of looking at that Red Sea and thinking this is bigger than me. If you'd say, you're, I'm there tonight, and, and I just ask that you would pray for me. Would you just lift your hand up? I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. A lot of hands. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. And I just want to say this tonight. Um, we want this to be a place of refuge. We want this to be a place where we're real. And tonight in the um, prayer room, you can come in there, and you can, um, you can spend some time praying by yourself. I'll be in there. Aaron will be in there. I have a couple of other refugees in there, Corey and Amy, who will pray with you. If you just want somebody to pray with, um, you can come in there and pray with somebody or pray by yourself. That's fine. You can pray right where you're seated with somebody, a friend, but I want to pray for you. And then we're going to worship together. Father, 
God, thank you for this small snapshot of a big reality right here at the end of chapter 13. God, that you many times take us an inconvenient way that leads us to an impossible way, but you have led us there. And so, Father, as we, as we look to Jesus, the perfecter, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, and we know that he was in the wilderness perfectly and that he went to the cross obediently, that he lived sinlessly, Father, that he really has blazed the path for us to follow him in victory. And so Jesus, in the same way that the Israelites stood and looked at that Red Sea, Father, some of us tonight, we stand and we look at the impossible. God, help us trust you. God, as they held the bones of their forefather, which was bigger than a hope and a future for us. And so Jesus, tonight, we want to follow you in every everything that we do. We give you our lives. And so I pray for these who've raised their hands who would just say, I need to trust God. I need faith tonight. Father, give us faith. God, I believe faith is a gift from you. So Lord, give it to us. Help us to see you for who you are, your character, your strength, your power, to see what you've done in the past in our lives and that you will walk us in to the impossible victoriously. Because with you, there's nothing impossible. Nothing's impossible. So we give you this time, Jesus. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.